We are sitting outside the gate in the back of Park Hill United Methodist Church, where they've set up a safe outdoor space, which involves tiny homes and tents that are monitored by security and provided healthcare access. And we're just waiting for Cole to get here to open up the gate and take us on a walkthrough. And if you don't know this neighborhood, it's a it's you know a super desirable part of Denver, um, old beautiful homes, Denver squares and Tudors and a very leafy block. It's quiet. And uh, the safe outdoor space looks like a, like a farmer's market would with a lot of different tents and different rows set up. There's a chain link fence that surrounds it with a gate with keypad access. There's a big poster outside that explains what it is. The chain link is covered by some of that you know green mesh material that provides for additional privacy so you can't see straight through the fence. And we've been out here for well, 10, 15 minutes, and it's pleasant and quiet and peaceful. Just a couple of minutes ago, there were some kids in the house across the street that were just coming out and chattering as they got in their car to go to school. And that is the scene. Ah, and here's Cole, just showed up on a bicycle. Think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. Multiple pathways for a common purpose. We're looking at a human being and there's a life story. 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 Hey, this is what's going on. An elevated Denver starts now. Welcome back. This is Nathan. Just a quick check-in. It's Jana and I who are on this tour, and you'll remember Cole Chandler, the executive director of Colorado Village Collaborative from the first episode. So welcome to the safe outdoor space at Park Hill United Methodist Church. We have capacity for up to 40 people here. As you can see, there's a fence that surrounds the site entirely and it's secure. This is the single secure point of entry and exit. Every resident, as they're walking through the door, they actually come up and ring the doorbell. And then they're welcomed in by staff. So Harrison is our site coordinator that's here today. We have two staff members on site around the clock, a coordinator and an assistant. And then we also deliver services at these sites. And so we're doing daily wellness screenings, case management work, and there's different outreach workers and service providers from the community that come and meet with residents on a daily basis. So here we have 36 of these individualized shelters. It's an ice fishing shelter, pentagon shape, and it's about eight feet across and about seven and a half or eight feet tall. And so it provides a space that has a door that people can walk into and stand up inside of. And then when you look inside of a shelter, there's a cot and there's often a place for people to have a little storage bin or something like that, a place to put personal items. And that really becomes someone's home while they're staying in the safe outdoor space. As you look sort of down the alleyway here, you can see that every single one of these shelters has an electrical outlet that services it. So it's a place where people can plug in a fan. During the wintertime, people plugged in electric heating blankets and just really finding ways to stay warm or cool, whatever the need may be. We're grateful that this site has really nice shade. And so that's definitely 
an advantage that we haven't enjoyed at some of our other locations. So these sites, they service people that were coming from unsheltered homelessness, and we really work to overcome barriers to accessing care and service. And so some of those barriers that we're working to access is providing space for pet owners, providing space for couples, providing space for LGBTQ folks, as well as people that may have disabilities. And so you would notice that a number of these shelters actually have ramps that are servicing them. You know, they're set up to be accessible for people that may or may not be in wheelchairs or have other accessibility needs and challenges. We have portable toilets at these sites. They're serviced daily as well as hand washing stations. You can see bike racks spread out around as well as a designated smoking area. Some of the other elements that we have at the site include these large 20 by 20, call them wedding tents. Um, one is for food service and the other is for social service delivery. We have connections with a number of service agencies that includes Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, St. Francis Center, Mental Health Center of Denver, Denver Public Libraries. There's a mobile dental clinic that comes and services these sites. And so all of these different service providers on their outreach calendar are coming in and connecting with clients in these spaces, providing mental, physical, dental health services, as well as that case management support that focuses on employment navigation, finding ways to increase people's income through various benefit navigation, as well as housing navigation. So once someone comes into our site, uh, we sort of do an intake and try to get just a baseline understanding of where they are, what their needs are, what the opportunities are, what the challenges are. And then we sort of design an individual plan for how do we increase your income? How do we get you connected to housing? And how do we provide the mental, physical, dental health services that you're in need of while you're in our care? Let's peek around here. This is actually our fresh water that comes into the site. This is a drinking water graded hose that's coming off the building. And so that's coming directly from the church. We deliver showers and laundry to this site a couple days a week. And then there's actually two meals a day served to residents at this site. And the majority of those are served by the community. And then we have our staff office, which is right at the front of the site. My name is Harrison Edwards. I'm coordinator on site four days out of the week. Anyone who comes into the site, we generally go through a referral process. They get a referral from Denver Street Outreach Coalition or from St. Francis Center. Usually we recommend, you know, someone who's working with a case manager or something like that. So they have a point of contact who already like knows their situation, knows them a little bit and can see that they're going to be a good fit for the SOS. So I think the connection to those resources are really important, along with having a staff that's 24-7. Most of us are staff members in a peer capacity, meaning we don't come from an education background. We come from a background of lived experience. And I think we all work pretty hard to get to know our residents, which means that when a caseworker shows up and I know that they can give a voucher for an ID and I see you know, someone in the site who I recognize was telling me two weeks ago, that they're trying to work on their idea. I'm like, hey, do you remember that? Is that still something you wanna do? Can we make that happen today? So making those connections is really the biggest thing because what I found within the site is that that forward momentum is contagious. Once people start to see those barriers break down and wanna move forward on the things that are important to their goals, you know, somebody is employed and is talking about like what that's like, other people start thinking like, maybe I can do that here too. 
The theory is that if we can provide people with basic stability, that they will be able to, over time, achieve a greater degree of stability. You can't get your life together living in a tent on the side of the street. You can't maintain a job. You can't maintain sobriety if that's a goal that you're working on. You can't have a family and have all the different things that we want as human beings. Our theory of change is to provide a base level of stability and then help people move up towards health and well-being in a more integrated sense of that term. To take someone from unsheltered homelessness, bring them into a safe, stable environment, and then within a year, help them graduate to permanent housing. And so we're making this investment at the ground level, but we're hoping over time to defer costs because someone has been able to transition out into a longer term housing solution. Basically the cost per person per night comes out to $25 per person per night, $750 per person per month. That is covering obviously a place to stay, it's covering the staffing costs, electricity, water, food costs, everything. It's all inclusive, $25 per person per night. So the people that were serving in this space, they were living in unsanctioned camps before coming in here. They were accustomed to being moved along by police. They were accustomed to really not feeling safe, leaving their things behind, carrying their most valuable possessions with them everywhere that they went. When people come in here, they have that stability. They know that they can stay here. They're not gonna be moved along. They can leave their possessions. They can go to work. They can build relationships. They have predictability because they know who's coming inside the gate. There's just no surprises in that way. And that really serves to provide that baseline in terms of the hierarchy of needs that then people can use as a building block with the right support. We are not able to continue providing services to people that sort of graduate from this program. That being said, most of the people that are leaving our sites are going into other supportive housing environments. And so they're receiving care, receiving services. Right now, we're up to two safe outdoor spaces that have a max capacity of 100 people a night. So we can serve 40 people here. We can serve 60 people at Regis. We have two tiny home villages that have a max capacity of 50 people between those two. All of those spaces are designed and oriented around serving people coming from unsheltered homelessness. So we're getting up to about 15% of that capacity. There's still a long way to go, but it's encouraging to me how quickly we've gotten to that 15% mark. And some of our growth and trajectory goals over the next six to eight months have us on a path to 250, basically by this time next year. There's significant progress that can be made in a short time if we have community buy-in, political will, neighborhoods that are willing to say, yes, let's take this on, let's live up to our values, and obviously the land and the funding. 60% of this site is chronically homeless, meaning they've been on the streets for a year or longer or four or more times in a three-year period. But another 40% were newly homeless within the last year. So there's folks that moved out of housing because they couldn't afford it and found their way to the streets and then found their way into a safe outdoor space. That is going to continue happening, especially as home prices continue to rise. Zillow has done a report that shows every percentage point that housing prices increase, homelessness increases as well. And so that is part of our reality within sort of the larger broken housing system that we're living in.
It's time for a short break. When we return, we'll meet one of the residents of the safe outdoor space. We'll learn how much this all costs, and we'll hear what the neighbors think of it. We'll be right back. A frequent question we get about this podcast is, who funded it? Well, uh, we did. Which is to say that this is an independent production that was a labor of love. But our plan is to use this space to highlight some of the great work that sponsor organizations are doing to cultivate an elevated Denver. And if you're listening to this piece of audio, it means that there's room for us to share your story right here. We'll work with you to write a one to two minute story about the good work that you're doing and how it came to be. And then I'll read it and we'll play it right here so that more people can learn about your commitment to this community. That's good for you and it's good for us because your sponsorship will help this work and help us get it out to more people. If you want the details, just go to the contact page at www.elevateddenver.co and fill out the form and we'll be in touch. Now, back to the show. At one point in the tour, Cole asked us to hang back for a second while he spoke with a resident of the safe outdoor space. After a minute, he waved us over and he introduced us to Alan. Just to give you a rough understanding of where I came from, I lived in an apartment for 15 years, 13th and Pearl. A major real estate company came in, bought it, and kicked 31 of us out in the cold. And Alan, was that November of this past year? Yes. So in the middle of COVID and everything? Yep. And and signed legal. Were you given? 30 days. 30 days. 15 years, paid my rent faithfully every month, passed all my inspections, clean. I always had fun. We had patio, barbecue. Yeah, one morning, coffee at my kitchen table, the next morning, a tent with a foot of snow around it. And I met these guys, saw they needed help building. I volunteered. I said, okay, I'm going to make sure I got some place to go because I literally had nowhere to go. I ended up here and I've been working with them ever since. I love it. It's a great place for somebody to get a place. They can go out and look for work, come home, their stuff's safe. They can get a shower. If they get a job, they can go five days a week, go to their job, save their money for a month or two, get into some place or find some housing. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for that first step for them to get off the streets and then they can adjust themselves to being confined a little bit. We put pen to paper for the first time around this idea and just said, look, this is the way it would work. And we presented that to the mayor's office. There was a press conference where the mayor was asked a question from a reporter about safe camping sites. And he just said, we will not be looking into that. We had just briefed the mayor's office a few days before, so we were pretty upset, right? We put out a survey to people all across the city and were able to demonstrate that eight out of 10 Denverites supported this concept. We had that as a tool in our tool belt. We built a stronger coalition. We looked for private land, we looked for private dollars. So basically all we were coming to the city and asking for was permitting approval after several months, got the mayor's office to sign off on the idea and announce support for the concept at a press conference on July 1st. But now we had to go put it on a piece of land. 
everyone was sort of conceptually approving of this idea, just somewhere else. <laughs> After a few months of trying to bring sites forward, it seemed like the public just wasn't quite envisioning what we were trying to do. People didn't really understand what a safe outdoor space was. So in October, we hosted an unoccupied pop-up event where we just stood up a site and said, this is what we're talking about. There's a fence all the way around it. There's a secure point of entry. The tents are uniform. They're spaced out in these ways. There's water, there's trash. And we just invited the public to come see it. So we had an open house and we brought the media in and transformed people's visual idea. And that was a key turning point moment for us. The registered neighborhood organization leaders from Capitol Hill, they all came and saw that. They were dealing with significant problems around unsanctioned homelessness in their neighborhood, and they saw what we were talking about as an alternative. They wanted to actively work towards those win-win solutions. What helped push it across was that we came up with two privately owned sites in Capitol Hill on church property. Basically the cost per person per night comes out to $25 per person per night, $750 per person per month. That is covering obviously a place to stay, it's covering the staffing costs, electricity, water, food costs. It's all inclusive, $25 per person per night. One of the biggest challenges that we faced in our four and a half years, we were sued by the neighborhood. We've had multiple appeals against the project filed with the Board of Adjustment. The same neighbors that sued us said that they plan to sue us again if they lose there. There's been significant challenges with a wealthy, affluent, supposedly liberal neighborhood. Many of those neighbors did not want a project like this in their backyard. They're conceptually in favor of the idea, but don't want it to be close to them. That being said, there's a great amount of support. And so actually, if you look outside the front gate, there's a banner that says, welcome to our neighbors. That's been signed by, I would say, over 100 people from the neighborhood. Actually, one of the most directly impacted neighbors is back here on the other side of the fence, uh, hung up a sign on their fence that says, welcome new neighbors. So certainly the opposition has been loud. It's been well-funded. <laughs> but there's a great deal of support for this project in the neighborhood as well. As you drive around this neighborhood, you see all kinds of messages in yards. You see Black Lives Matter signs. You see signs that say, everyone is welcome here. You see all these kinds of messages. And so I think that for some people, those deeper values connect. This is who I am. This is the world I believe in. This is the kind of world I want to build. People that haven't been to these sites, that haven't been a part of them every single day, they may have their fears, but the actual lived reality in this site is that it's a pretty calm, peaceful environment of people that are just trying to heal, trying to be stable, and trying to become whole again. Thank you. Can, can, can we let ourselves out? Oh, yeah. Appreciate it. See ya. They've got this sign that Cole mentioned. It says, welcome to our new neighbors. And we've got scores of signatures on it from various folks. Can you read a few? Welcome neighbors. 
We welcome you and look forward to meeting you. Welcome home. You are loved. May you stay here and your life forward be blessed. Welcome to Park Hill. We are so happy you are here, neighbors. For many people who are unhoused, achieving stability is the first critical step on the journey out of homelessness. But the road from there is not smooth and it is not easy. To find stable housing, most people will have to engage with a system that is designed to find a way to prioritize scarce housing units for the people who need them most. And while that's probably the right goal, the system itself leaves a lot to be desired. You receive like a score based on prioritizing urgency, which makes sense to me. But the population that I work with, families, it's just not an option for them to be on the street. They would get their kids taken away. So generally they find ways to double up sometimes in unsafe situations. I've got folks who have to go back in abusive relationships because that's the housing option for them. And that doesn't necessarily increase their rank. That means that they're not literally homeless and they're okay. Episode six takes us into the system for requesting, accessing, and maintaining supportive housing. Join us. Thank you to Nathan Church, our editor, sound designer, and barista. Production was provided by Havy Pro Cinema. Elevated Denver is produced and critiqued by Tony Minardi. Strategy, planning, and social distancing are provided by Jonna Flood. The all local music you heard in this episode is thanks to our music supervisor, Zach Warkenton, and features Ono Khan and Sarah Slayton. Thank you also to China Califf, who helped to develop the idea for this production. I'm your director and host, Nathan Havey. If you want to go deeper, you'll find background and extras at elevateddenver.co, like Colorado. And while you're there, jump on the email list so we can be in touch and hopefully get your help, too. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver. With you.